Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. Father, we thank you for this time together. Meet us in this time of study. Open our eyes and ears, and we will give you all the glory and all the honor, world without end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. John chapter 9, John chapter 9, beginning with the first verse. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw. It's amazing the things that Jesus sees and everyone else misses. You know, we tend to notice the celebrities, we, but we'll certainly notice our friends and, and family members. But Jesus specialized in spotting the nobodies. It says, he saw a man who was blind. A poor and sightless man at that time in history had no choice except to become a beggar. He was one of those men who, when you pulled up at the stoplight, would, would reach into the car and, and say that he was hungry or in need. Or if you were in New York, they'd spit on your windshield and wipe it in, in there a little bit. And then he'd ask you for, you know, $5 for messing up your windshield that you can't even see out of anymore. But... The point was, he was a bothersome, irksome panhandler along the roadside, a man that most people just wanted to go away. The Bible says that in spite of how irksome and bothersome he might have been, Jesus saw a man. Not his problem, not the irritation, but a man. When he saw him, he also realized that he had been blind from birth. He had a certain disability, a inadequacy, a limitation, and it had been with him all of his life. And the disciples responded like most religious people do to situations like this. They started to debate the cause and the, the rationale, or, or I guess the, 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 the issues and circumstances behind the issue. But Jesus was different. He didn't see the man as an issue to debate. He saw a man who needed to be seen. So his disciples, they asked him, they say, Rabbi, was the title of respect used to, to show the seriousness of the question that was about to be asked? Because any rabbi worth his salt, you know, had, had strong opinions and, and, and made strong statements on issues such as, as this. And they wanted to know what Jesus the rabbi had to say. So they say, Rabbi... Tell me who sinned. I really can't explain why we're like this, but some people just won't be happy until they find somebody to blame. How many of you know some folk like that? Well, the disciples were the same way. In our country, it's the black people's fault. It's the white people's fault. It's the Republicans. It's the Democrats. Some people are always trying to find somebody to blame. Matter of fact, when you turn on the television, I get exhausted. Everybody just pointing a finger at everybody else and nobody looking up to heaven and saying, Lord, well, what do you want me to do? But everybody just pointing at everybody else. It's frustrating and upsetting. He said, who sinned, this man or his mammy, that he was born blind? Now, in my life, much of the time, it's my poor choices that are the root of my troubles. But there's also other times in life that stuff just happens. It ain't nobody's fault. It just kind of happened. 
And wisdom is knowing the difference between the two. Jesus answered these disciples who waxed theological instead of compassionate. He said, neither. Jesus was saying, disciples, look guys, everything doesn't always fit in a neat box. Everything's not always so black and white. He said, guys, neither this man nor his parents sinned. You know, when I'm hurting, when I'm in trouble, I've learned, and, and, and rightfully so, the first question I need to ask is, Lord, what do I own in this situation? What's my responsibility? What was my contribution to what I'm feeling right now? And typically, repentance will fix 50% of the problems. But what do you do with the other 50% that you have no control over? Repentance and, and admission just, just can't fix. This was the situation of this man. Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. The disciples had a theology at this point that was a mile wide and about an inch deep. It was sloppy. And instead of caring for the man, they actually indict the man without even knowing the man. They know nothing about him. And they start saying, well, you know, they're in there. The poor are poor because, you know, they're lazy. You know, you got their re and, and people can get hard and harsh knowing some truth. And this was the case with the disciples. But I want you to notice Jesus rushed to this man's defense. He said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But let me change the conversation. Let me elevate your mentality here. But this has happened that the works of God should be revealed in him. Sometimes the issue is not resolved by finding fault. Sometimes the issue is not resolved by pointing the finger. Sometimes the way you really resolve an issue is none of those things but doing what Jesus is about to do. Discover its purpose. You see, the question was not who's to blame. The issue was, Lord, through this, what do you want to accomplish? Many married people come into my office, you know, she, 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 what, 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 stop it. Take a step back and say, Lord, I, I know what they're doing, I know what I'm doing, but Lord, what is your purpose? What is it you're trying to build in me and accomplish in me in this season? And is it somehow that you're using my crazy mate to bring something good? Is, is it possible that that difficult boss on the job is designed to develop me and build me? Is it possible that this tough thing I'm going through has a higher purpose than me just being comfortable? But we ask the wrong questions. Who sinned? She sinned. And da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Instead of Lord, saying, Lord, is there something you, you're trying to show me, something you're trying to bring out of me? Then Jesus added, he said, I must work. Unlike some people I know, Jesus saw work as a blessing and not a curse. Somebody said, I, I work in silence to let my success make all the noise, and I, I like that. He said, I must work the works of him who sent me. But then he adds, while it is day. You see, the sun was setting over the Holy Land. And Jesus used that to parallel the fact that his earthly ministry was coming to an end. Here's something I've learned. Death is an inevitable part of life. Just like there's sunrise, there will be a sunset. 
And the only way to ensure you're ready when the sun goes down is by starting now everything you need to finish. So the way you finish well is by starting now. And he said, the night is coming. It's going to get dark out there. And in a moment, I won't be the light anymore in the same way. When no one can work, once the sun sets, there's no do-overs. There's no retakes. The Bible said a man is appointed to die once, then the judgment. Now, they may tell you on television that it goes round and round. You might come back as a cow the next time. You might come back as a monkey. But Jesus saw it differently. He had but one life to live, and he lived it intentionally and on purpose. If you are going to reach somebody, if you are going to help somebody, if you are going to love somebody, you got to learn to act like today is your last day. The Bible said you got to learn to redeem the time for the days are evil. You're not going to have 6,000. Matter of fact, imagine how miserable that would be. Going round and round and round and round. This thing never stopping. God never is settling the issue. We just go round and around and around for eternally. Thank God this thing eventually comes in. You know, thank God that, that one day that, that God's going to separate the wheat and the chaff. The righteous, the unrighteous. And those that trouble can't trouble no more. And Jesus says something huge. He said, as long as I'm in the world, I am, ego mine, the light of the world. That I am points back to the burning bush where Moses says, God, God, who, who shall I say? Me? Say, say that I am. I'm not a has-been. I'm not just someone who has been. I'm not just someone uh, who, who every now and then will, will show up and be. I, I am, whatever I am, I am all the time. I, I, I have been in the past. Everything I've been in the past, I will be in the future. I am just always me. And, and uh, you know, you can't even put me in time. And, and labels are really tough for me because I am always just me. I am the eternal one. And this is the way he introduced himself to Moses. So Jesus picks this up. He says, I am the light of the world. He was saying that just as the sun is the ruler of the physical world, he was the ruler of the spiritual world. Jesus was literally claiming deity here. He was not a light. Muhammad was another light. Buddha, another light. He said, I am the light of the world. John 14, 19, Jesus makes the statement even clearer using different words. He's talking with his disciples who have been in church for a long time, but there's some things they didn't quite grasp. He said, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? If Jesus is just a prophet, you don't know him yet. If Jesus is just a wise teacher, you don't know him yet. If Jesus is just some type of miracle worker that did something sometime back then, you do not know him yet. You see, Philip had not yet grasped that Jesus was the tangible, invisible God, fully human, fully divine. He said this. Now, this is coming out of his mouth. If you have a red-letter Bible, it's in red. He said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Any relationship with God stops and ends with Jesus the Christ. So then Jesus posed the question, now, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, how can you say, show us the Father? You see, when Jesus made this statement, he wasn't trying to be bigoted. 
He wasn't trying to be narrow. He wasn't trying to be sectarian. It's just that if you don't accept Jesus, God has nothing else to offer. Even God, as great as God is, he can't offer more than himself. Did anybody hear what I just said? If you don't accept his Jesus, what else can he give you? He can't change who he is. He's only who he is. So when he gives you Jesus and an opportunity to reject him, it's to reject God. It's not a religious type of thing. It's just the truth. I only have one way to eat food. Now, am I narrow-minded because I don't take a fork and put it under my armpit? Am I narrow-minded because I don't go on my plate and then try to stick it in my belly button? I'm not complaining that God's only given me one mouth. Why are you complaining that there's but one way? That's not a point of complaint. That's a point to be grateful. Thank you for my mouth. Thank you for my teeth. Thank you for my tongue. Thank you that you gave me that. I'm preaching better than you saying amen. John 9 and 6. And when he had said these things, he just said that he was the light of the world. But Jesus wasn't like the false prophets who made these great claims but couldn't prove it. The Bible says immediately after he said that, he spat on the ground. You can be honest. How many of y'all think that's just a little bit nasty? Just a little bit nasty. Okay. But back then, saliva was used also for medicinal purposes. So it wasn't as nasty as we might take it in our day. But the question remains, why would Jesus spit to prove his deity, to prove that he was the light of the world? Genesis 2 and verse 7. I'm glad you asked. And the Lord God formed of the dust of the ground. When God first created the human, he built his physique from the dirt. But if you take the Bible as it reads, at first, when he made the body, the body just, just kind of laid there. There's there no life in it. God created the outer shell, the man. And actually, science has caught up to Scripture because we discovered that humans are carbon-based. Meaning we come from the, everything that's in the soil is, is what we're made of. That's why we can eat stuff from the soil. We eat stuff from trees, et cetera, because we're, we're made of that stuff. So here's the man. He's no life. I don't know if his eyes are open or closed. But then God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Some say that when God breathed into his nostrils, his blood was instantly created and his heart began to beat. All of a sudden his eyes popped open and he's animated. And this might be the reason why the Bible said life is in the blood. So all there was at first, just shell of a man. But then God, by his spirit, injects the blood. And it says, and man at that point became a living being. When we look at the text though, it says that he came from dust, meaning dry dirt. So I think, don't, don't hold me to this, and, and I, this is not a doctrine. This is what I think. I think when God created Adam, the father slapped some instructions on his forehead. And he said to the Holy Spirit, add liquid and stir. And the Holy Spirit heard it and he breathed. Blood shot through his 
his veins and, and electricity went through his heart. And all of a sudden, he's invigorated, alive, looking and hearing and listening. Back to John 9, 6. When he said these things, he spat. Now, bear with me. I'm going somewhere. Today, we commonly use the DNA swab test to establish paternity. And the scientists today say that the DNA in your saliva is 100% as reliable as the DNA in your blood. I'm going somewhere. Just stay with me. Genesis 1 and 26, one more time. Then God said, my pastor used to say, when God created ocean life, if you look at Genesis 1, you'll see this is true. He spoke to the waters. When God created the moon and the stars, he spoke to the firmament. When he created the animal and plant life, he spoke to the soil. But when it came to the creation of mankind, humankind, the Bible reveals he could only speak to himself because only God is our Father. Stay with me. Watch this. You're going to read this verse like you never read it. Then God said, watch it, to himself. He said, let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us make, not to the stars, the, the sky, let us, he spoke to himself. Let us make man in our, he's not talking to nobody's angel, in our image and according to our likeness. You see, all the other life was drawn from what had already been made. But the spirit that God has placed on the inside of us comes exclusively from God. And from God I come, and to God I'll return. John 9 and 6. And I'll eventually, believe me, I will get to the end of the scripture. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground. In Genesis, God breathed into Adam's nostrils and and he was created on the inside in God's image and likeness. And, and someone just like God was looking back at God. It was amazing. We're not God. But, but we were made in his image and his likeness. We could think. We could talk. We were speaking spirits with rulership and authority and capacity. And it was just amazing. But in this verse, just like God took something of himself, he took his breath and breathed. Here we see God the man, Christ Jesus, spit on the ground and made clay with saliva. He took his DNA and rolled it in the dirt. What God did in creation, he was about to do in a recreation. God was, was about to make man over again. He was using this miracle as an illustration of the larger intent. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Paul says by the Holy Spirit, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You see, sin broke us so bad, Jesus didn't promise just to put a Band-Aid on it. He didn't promise just to repair it. He, he, he recreated us from scratch on the inside where it really matters. There's a part of each of us that God wants to absolutely make over. And let me tell you, when you come to this altar, if, if your hair is gray, you're going to leave with your hair gray. He's not talking about making over your body. Matter of fact, let's keep, let's keep reading. He said, old things have passed away. 
Meaning, God takes out that old rusted, weak, and undependable engine. You were trying to climb a hill, then it poops out, and you go back down the hill. Just when you need the power the most, you want to do it, but you can't do it. That, that was it. God took out that weak, you know, barely four-cylinder, rusty engine, and he keeps the outside of the car. So if you were blue, before you got saved, you stayed blue. You had a rip in your seat, you still have a rip in your seat. But what God does, he goes to the guts of the thing. He takes out the old weak engine, and he puts in a completely new engine. When a car drives, no one can see the engine. They can just see its results. I just said something. He said, behold, all things that are important have become new. You cannot live this new life and run this, this, this new race having the same old engine parts. So Jesus said, I know how to fix that. I want to make you Salvation is not just getting a Band-Aid. It's not just God trying to fix. He goes deep down where it matters most, your essential you. And he puts in an engine that purrs, an engine with, 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 with firing and shooting, and, and you got the rumble of God on the inside of you once again when God breathes in you. And when God sees you, there's a rumble just like the rumble in God, and it's called the life of God now is on the inside of you, taking you places you couldn't go before. You can now do things you couldn't do before, all because of that rumble that God has now placed. On the inside, but you're looking at the color of your car, the seats of your car, saying, well, if I change, I looked at No, 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 no. That's not where it matters. Every now and then, even a car with the best engine might get a flat tire. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.